Wow. Praise God for what he's doing in Ray's life. And I know that this uh, normally happens at the end of a sermon, but I just want to say to you today that if you're here and you think that there's some system that you can adhere to, some amount of good that you can do, there's some amount of merit that can be accomplished, there's some rules that can be followed, and those will get you to heaven. I pray that God convicts you today that you can't do it. The truth is you cannot be good enough. You cannot keep the rules. You cannot adhere to the system. And you are lost without God's grace. But the good news is that Jesus has come to set us free to give us eternal life. And maybe today, you know that and you believe that. I just wanna pray now. And you don't have to pray what I pray. It's about what you say in your heart. But if you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Pray with me. Jesus, I realize that I fall short and I need you and I believe that you have come for me and so I surrender my life to you. I will follow you for all the days that you give me by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, or maybe you're here and you just still have questions and you're wrestling through some of this stuff, you can come and talk to me or one of our other leaders at the front of the stage at the end of the service, or you can text the word, believe to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our pastors will follow up with you this week. It would be our joy to walk with you as you learn what it means to follow Jesus. If you're visiting with us today and you just want to know more about getting involved in the life of our church, you can text the word CONNECT to that same number and one of our staff members will follow up with you. I would also invite you today to our Discover Bayshore. It's taking place at 1215, immediately following our 11 o'clock service in our fellowship hall. We'll feed you and share with you uh, just who we are as a church and why we do what we do and give you the opportunity to ask questions. You're welcome to just drop into that if you just wanna know more. If you are uh, interested in joining our church, that is the first step to membership of our church as well. At those meals, Alice Hagens, our hostess, always prepares uh, a meal for us, and she has been doing that for 15 years today. We celebrate Alice's 15-year anniversary <laughs> with our church, and we appreciate what she does for us, but even more than that, who she is to us. Um, next week, we start a new teaching series as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, wrapping up chapter four into chapter five and on, and we've titled that series, He is Greater Than Fear. We'll be looking at several things in the life of Jesus that really show us how God helps us to overcome the fear that we might have in this life. But today, we're gonna open up to Mark chapter four, verse 33, and we're gonna close out our time beneath the surface we're covering two verses today. There are two verses that could easily be overlooked 
or just combined with what text came before it or what text came after it. But there's something incredibly important and relevant for us in these two verses. So let's read them and talk about what they show us. Mark chapter four, verse 33 and 34. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So I wanna dissect these two verses this morning. I'll be using the Bible Markup app. Our time will be shorter than normal, but don't mistake the length of our time in the word this morning for a lessening of the importance of these words. Mark first says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. This means that Mark is only sharing a selection of the parables that Jesus taught. What we have in the Gospels is not everything that Jesus did and said. John, in his Gospel, explicitly states this. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, Jesus did more than what you're reading in these pages. The purpose of the Gospels is not to tell you everything that Jesus did, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write down a summary of what Jesus taught and did and who he was. Now, there have been some critiques of the Gospels, of their reliability, because they don't line up fully. They aren't in the same chronology. They give different details in different stories. And people have said, because of that, they're not, they're not right, because they're not uniform. But what I would tell you is it actually is more evidence that these Gospels are indeed what they intended to be. There are four individuals writing about the life of Jesus under the direction of the Holy Spirit from their perspective. So what we have is not everything Jesus taught, but some of what Jesus taught. That's what Mark says when he says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. He then says, as they were able to hear it. As they were able to hear it. That could be directly translated, literally translated, as in a way they could understand. What Mark is saying is that Jesus is explaining to them the par in parables, the word, as they could understand. You see, there's a limit to our understanding of the kingdom of God. We have a diagram here that just illustrates who we are in relation to God. You see the image of a person at the bottom, and we are people of reason. Science would support that we are the creature that is able to have the highest amount of reason. My social, news, social media news feed doesn't support that, but science does support that. But yet, there is a limit to our reason. And so God and the things of God beyond our reason must be revealed to us from God. That is why when we read the Bible, there are things of the Bible that do not appeal to the natural man. 1 Corinthians says that the things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing, 
God reveals his will to us and his word to us that transcends our ability to reason. When Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, the parables of the kingdom of God, he's explaining things that are beyond our natural ability to reason. This, the way that is, this is written shows us that Jesus saw limitations of his audience and didn't go further for some reason. In, in Mark, it says, our passage, he did not speak to them without a parable. Now, there's some confusion about what that means, but I don't think it's really hard to understand because we know that Jesus spoke in general without parables. So this isn't just a, you know, conclusive statement. It's saying, Mark is saying, on this day, on this occasion, Jesus didn't clarify any of the parables as the people who were listening weren't ready to hear it. They weren't able to understand it. Parables were a big part of Jesus' teaching. Matthew, who is a gospel writer writing to the Jewish, to a Jewish audience, explains this a little clearer. Matthew 13, 34, and 35 says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Matthew is saying Jesus is speaking in these parables, and God had told us that one who would come that would do this. And he's referring to Asaph in Psalm 78 when he, as a prophet, speaks these words. Psalm 78, verse 1 through 4. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. From what we understand, the prophet is saying, I'm going to speak of the things of God, things that are dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and been told to us, and they're going to be taught to the, our children, and they're going to proclaim them on. But we also understand, because of what Matthew writes, that this prophet, see, the psalm wasn't just talking about Asaph, it was also talking about the one who is to come. And so Jesus, Matthew tells us, is telling the coming generations what has been hidden since the foundation of the world, the dark sayings from old. The word hidden is used in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a Greek word, crypto, which means things that are concealed. The word dark, dark sayings of old, is in the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, in the Psalms, which are things that are riddle-like. And so Matthew and the psalmist are saying that Jesus is declaring things that have been hidden, things that are hard to understand. But the psalmist says these things are not to be hidden from children. They're to be told to them that the coming generations would know of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and his wonders. Now, if you're a little confused, it's because at surface level, this is confusing. Here it says that these things that are being revealed were hidden. These things that are being revealed were dark or hard to understand, but they're not to be hidden from children. So these things are hard to understand on our own. They have to be revealed to us, yet children can understand them. 
And the key to understanding what is being taught is in our last phrase of our passage that we read today. Mark says, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. In Psalm 78 verse one, we read that the psalmist says, give ear, O people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This aspect of the disciples is one of the most overlooked, if not the most overlooked thing about the disciples. To explain further, I want you to consider the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded for us in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, and also in Luke in detail, is arguably the most influential teaching that's ever happened. It's not only important to Christianity, which I would say that you can't fully understand it without understanding who Christ is, but it's not only important to Christianity, it's influenced other religions and societies. It's shaped people and places. But notice what Matthew says at the beginning, Matthew chapter five, verse one. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, that's Jesus, his disciples came to him. Jesus is developing quite a following at this time. They're in this area where they're on mountainsides, and so what was common to do was to project your voice further was to go up onto the mountain so that more people could hear what it was that you were teaching. So people are hanging around Jesus at this time for all kinds of different reasons. Some out of spiritual intrigue. Some because of the issues in their life. And they're just clinging on and looking for anyone who might give them answers. Some because they needed healing. And anybody who might have the power to heal, they wanted to be around. Some were probably there to impress a girl. Maybe it's their mom, but it's a girl. Still, they're trying to impress. Much like today, many people gather together on Sunday mornings or wherever it might be to hear from Jesus. And the question for you and I today is are we going to stay in the crowd or are we going to become a disciple? What is the difference? His disciples came to him. When Jesus started teaching, they wanted to hear and understand what Jesus was teaching. Two people can have the same exposure to Jesus' teaching. One remains spiritually confused and empty, and the other becomes whole. One struggles to understand the meaning of their relationships, and the other seems to have meaning that even transcends those relationships. His disciples came to him. There was an intentional effort on the part of the disciples to learn from Christ. Now, what we're reading is written past 
tense. And so you could really read it as Matthew saying this, those who ended up being his disciples came to him. If you were to ask Matthew, what is the difference between the crowd and the 12 or the 72 or maybe more who became Jesus' disciples, he would say, I remember in the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples came to the feet of Jesus to learn from Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you are intentional about learning from Jesus. That's so simple. That seems so obvious. If you are following Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you are someone who is following Jesus. You are someone who is intentional about learning from Jesus. That seems so obvious, and yet I think many people lose that. I listen to a decent amount of podcasts, and one of the podcasts I listen to is a secular podcast called Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell, and kind of look at history and look at events and overanalyze all of it. But one of the most recent segments they were doing were, were on fairy tales, and they get into a, a lot of different stuff, but in their kind of, you know, look at the history of fairy tales, they talk about a time period in which uh, fairy tales all seem to have this common theme of these fools who fell into fortune. And so the, re, you know, good could happen to anyone even if they weren't looking for it and even if they didn't deserve it, it just kind of fell on their lap. And, and, and I think that a lot of people view the disciples this way, like they were these bumbling idiots who like, were like, I don't know what to do. And they fell and there's the feet of Jesus and they're like, oh, there's the answer. And because of this, I think we're confused and I think many of us think work, excuse me, life works like this. Like I'll just stumble into God's will for my life. Or all things are just gonna work out for the good and we might even misquote Romans 28. Or I'll just get to heaven somehow. Listen, God's grace is huge. But we cannot deny the responsibility that God places on us to learn from him and to do something with what we learn and the fact that Jesus himself taught that we will be responsible for what we do with what we heard, that we will be judged and accountable for what we do with what we heard. I think it's significant that Matthew puts the explanation of the parable of the sower after this. So Matthew tells us the, Jesus telling us the parable of the sower, the soils, and then he says Jesus spoke with many parables and he only explained, he explained things privately to his disciples. And then Matthew tells us of the explanation of the parable of the sowers. So I want you to think about this. People in the crowd who heard the parable of the sowers don't get it at all. And they're not like, I wonder which soil I am or which soil, whatever. They like don't even care. Like there's no debate. They, they don't even know. They just go on about their life after hearing Jesus. Is that you? Is that what you do week in and week out? 
or than once a month you gather together with the church? Like, do you know what it means to live for God? Or do you just keep living the way you see fit? Have you really ever asked, what does God want of me? Have you ever really looked and said, what does God want my marriage to look like? Or do I just do what I feel is right? Have you ever really searched the scriptures to say, what does God instruct for me as a parent? Or am I just raising these children up the way I see fit instead of the way God sees fit? Have you ever really considered what God wants you to do with your money and your resources? Or do you just hear that talk and it's just noise because you have what you want to do? Do you know what the Bible tells you about how to deal with conflict? Or anytime you have a problem with someone, do you go and gossip about them? Do you know the teachings of the scriptures on trials? Or do you just pray that trials would go away instead of learning about what God does through trials? And ultimately, most importantly, do you know what it means to be saved and have eternal life? Or do you just think it'll all work out in the end? See, we confuse God's grace with our just out, outright ignoring him. And in a Bible-saturated culture, let me rephrase that, in a Christianese-saturated culture, we deceive ourselves into thinking we're hearing from God when we're not. Is that you? And maybe, maybe you think, you know what? The reason I'm not really seeking to learn from Jesus or go close to Jesus is I don't deserve God's will for my life. I don't deserve his blessing on my life. You're right. You don't. We don't. The disciples didn't. And Jesus could have came to the earth and said, you are all sinners, be damned. But he didn't. Jesus came to the earth and said, God is here. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. See, the motivation for going to Jesus is that Jesus came to us. The motivation for going to Jesus is that Jesus came to us, that he's here, that God came and walked and that we can know from him. That's why we go to him, because he came to the earth. Those of you who know me know that we are foster, a foster family, 
about to hit, enter into our sixth year here, and it's one of the most painful and yet beautiful things that we, I've ever done in my life. And um, some time ago, uh, one of our foster children were interacting with one of our children, and they were, they're both preschool age, and they were fighting over a toy. And, you know, I kind of noticed that the foster child had it first, and honestly, it's just kind of easier sometimes to, um, you know, talk to your own child there. And so I, I said, hey, to my own child, hey, you need to let them have that. They had it first. I love you. It's going to be okay. Find something else to play with. And I tried to go on. I'm cutting out. I'm trying to go on about my business. And when you have six kids in your house, it's impossible to go on about your business ever. <laughs> and foster child walked up to me. And they had been listening and observing me, interacting with my child, and said, Daddy, do you love me? And I said, of course I love you. And they walk over and hand the toy to my child and go on and do something else. And I was just struck that this child felt the security and this acceptance and this thing they were holding on to, they were willing to let go of. When we go to Jesus, we realize a security and an acceptance by God, and we're willing to trust and we're willing to let go. God and his word will shape you into a better practical husband, wife, parent, etc. But at the core of coming and learning from Jesus is the security and acceptance that we have in God that drives us to let go of what we once held dear and to trust him for all things. That's what Christianity is. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for these words that remind us that you have come to us and that there is an invita invitation to come to you and to learn from you. And I pray, while these passages, these verses are simple and the narrative of the gospels and scripture, that we will not overlook the importance of coming to you, of listening and inclining our ear to you. And may we always remember the security that we have in you that is assured through the cross and the empty tomb. And may that drive us to lives 
where we don't hold on to the things that don't really matter. God, have your way in our lives. And in this moment, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.